Good morning and welcome to Breakthrough Walls. I am Ken Walls and I'm your host. And I have um, a very, very special guest on this morning. She is, uh, well, you guys will see, she is an amazing lady. She was recently introduced to me and we scheduled to have her come on the show. Um, I am fairly certain you're going to at least know who her father is. So I want to welcome my new friend, Victoria Price, to the show. Victoria, welcome. And, and Allie. And Allie. And Allie. How are you doing this morning? Doing great. How about you? I am fabulous. I love the energy. I, I love, I, I'm a reader of energy. I just love the energy that you put off. Like, it's just this happy, glowing, loving energy. Well, you know, I had to turn my life around somehow, and joy was my conduit to turning it around. So, you know, that's really the way that I get through uh, the tough stuff is to get out of my head and get back into joy. I love so. that. I love that. So, you know, I told you I created this couple years. It's been a, lo a little over two years ago. Um I was telling my wife, and my wife is way smarter than I am, by the way. Um, I said, I, I really want to start a show, a podcast, doing something to give back to the world, to help people. And 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 she goes, well, what are you thinking about calling it? And I go, I don't know, getting unstuck. And she <laughs> goes, why wouldn't you use your last name and call it Breakthrough Walls? Awesome. <laughs> I'm like, That's pretty great. Yeah. I'm like, okay, she's definitely smarter than me. <laughs> So, um, you know, I, I'd like to talk about, start out with where you were born and raised, but I do want to, I do want to point out the, let's talk about the, 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 the elephant in the room and we're not talking about you, Allie, um, <laughs> but that is that your father is the, uh, late great Vincent Price. Yes, he is. That is absolutely amazing to me. <laughs> well, I was very fortunate. I was really fortunate to grow up not with a famous dad so much as a wonderful dad. He just was an amazing, amazing human being. And I'm incredibly grateful that I had him as my dad. That's so awesome. I, I actually, there's a 44, 45 minute um, documentary on YouTube about his life and you and and it, it was it was pretty neat i watched a good portion of that last night so he had an um, amazing life an amazing life yeah yeah so so where did you where did life begin for you i grew up in southern california uh, okay. don't hold that against me <laughs> uh but back when california wasn't quite what it is now although still a place that so many people wanted to to be and to live and all of those things and uh as I got older, I really realized California wasn't my thing. Uh, and I knew I wanted to leave. I spent uh, my 16th year, a little over a year as an exchange student in Europe. And then I went to college back East and I've only lived in California, you know, sort of briefly. When my dad got ill, I went back and I uh, lived there when he was ill, but yeah, it's, um, it's it's where I'm from, and when I see it sometimes or go back to visit, I have that, oh, this is where I'm from, but it's not home anymore. Yeah. So your dad stayed there, though? Well, he was from Missouri, St. Louis, Missouri, oh. and then he went okay. to grad school in, um, in England, and then he uh, went to New York and then 
California, but he did end up in California. Yeah. Married a lot of British women though. So he went to England a lot. I, I, I was going to say like, I, uh, there's a lot of clips I saw when I was looking that he had a, or at least pretended to have a British accent. Yeah. People called him the Englishman from St. Louis. You know, he <laughs> said he sounded like anyone from St. Louis, but I've met a lot of people from St. Louis and none of them sound like Vincent Price. So, <laughs> right. <laughs> That's incredible. So, so growing up with a, um, a father that is, I mean, I, I saw that there was, I, I saw a story you told, I believe in this video about, um, you didn't know what your father did at a really young age. You weren't, you weren't familiar. And, and your mother, I believe took you to see him in a play. She and didn't to see him in Peter Pan thinking, well, that's a perfect way to, you know, to keep the show. And I, you know, here was my dad, this huge, big, beautiful, bright light of a person. And um, he was playing Captain Hook and he had a hook for a hand and he was meeting with the kids. And I freaked out, like loudly freaked out. And my mother had to take me backstage during intermission. And uh, <laughs> there's actually a record of, I think, seven photographs. I of saw me, them. This, right, completely stressed child to this happy child as my dad's comforting me. But it took me a long time to click like, oh, yeah, my mother must not have been too worried about my future mental health because she was taking all those pictures. <laughs> Your future mental health. Right. I love that. So, so yeah, I saw those pictures and it doesn't say anything about, you know, she went from terrified because you literally were like, why am I sitting on this dude's knee right now? Like to this, this, like the light came on, like yeah, you got exactly, it. Exactly. Yeah, it was amazing. So, so you went to college, you said back East. So somewhere on the East coast of the U S right. Yeah. Um, and what did you do after that? What did you did you follow in your father's footsteps? What what happened? Briefly, that? you know, I thought I wanted to act. And, uh, you know, apparently I was good enough to get into a couple of the most prestigious schools. And I wasn't there very long before I realized that it wasn't what I cared most about. So that was my first big aha moment that what you're good at is not necessarily what you should do. Um, mm -hmm. And I knew absolutely that it was a given that I should, you know, not do something that I wasn't passionate about. And it's particularly acting, you know, acting is not an easy life. You know, everybody sees all the glamor, but it's a lot of uh, learning to tolerate rejection and, yeah. um, and it's a roller coaster ride. And if you're not somebody who wants to do that enough to tolerate the roller coaster ride, you shouldn't get on. Yeah. Uh, one of my, dearest friends in the world and new relationship him and I have is um, a guy named Glenn Morshower, who's been um, an actor for 45 years in mm -hmm. Hollywood. And he's told me a lot of, you know, I, it's, it's, it's a huge roller coaster ride. It sounds mm -hmm. like <laughs> definitely. So, so you, um, after that, you, what, what did, and what was your degree in? Uh, American studies. Studies, very useful. Um, basically, I ended up in New Mexico and started taking a bunch of classes and ended up teaching and uh, and I ended up studying celebrity because really what happened was that I just kind of, I needed to understand this really weird world that I'd grown up in that didn't really make a lot of sense why certain people were given privilege and other people were 
given no privilege and and why it seems so completely arbitrary. Yeah. And so I I really understood that uh, I needed to understand what the whole concept of celebrity was all about. And that's why I studied it. Wow. So what what why did you and this was in New Mexico you started studying that? Yeah. Again, I ended up there quite by accident. My brother lives there and I just stopped for a bit and took some classes and then ended up being really fascinated by what I was studying. What part? Uh, of New Mexico? Yeah. Uh, well, I lived, my home base was 25 years in Santa Fe, but I also lived in the mountains above Albuquerque. I've lived a lot of different places in New Mexico. It's been a, it's been a, a wonderful home for me. I love the mountain West. I love New Mexico. Let's talk about that. I've been there. I've been to Albuquerque, drove up to Santa Fe, and Santa Fe is literally one of my favorite places on the planet. It's yeah, it's a very special place. The gazebo downtown or in the, the center of town and all the arts. Uh, the, oh, my gosh. It's such an amazing place. Amazing. It it's very spiritual. Very. Absolutely. And, and, you know, also funnily enough, kind of a land of misfit toys. There are a lot of people who don't fit in other places who end up there. And I think that's why, uh, you know, we all go there and then find other like-minded people. Yeah. It's incredible. It really is. I, I didn't know about the misfit part, but I, I can see that. I, it has I, been for, for, you know, over a hundred years because, uh, well, you know, certainly a long time, a lot of artists ended up there because they were sent there uh, to recuperate from TB and, and uh, mm. it was the high desert air that was considered really good for your lungs. And so you went there and people had nothing to do while they were recuperating kind of like now. So they yeah. connected to the regional arts and many of them became really prominent artists. Yeah. Yeah. There's some incredible, like, I don't know how many art, are they called galleries there or just galleries. Or, it's unbelievable. Like it's like the whole little section down there is all these art galleries. It's, in, it's incredible. And, and is it Santa Fe where that, that church is with yes. the, is it Santa Fe? Yeah. I've been in that. It's again, another amazing thing that everybody should see and experience. It's a very special place and very unlike anywhere else in the United States. Yeah, it really is. So, so, um, you were there, how long were you in, in, in New Mexico? 25 years. Wow. Okay. And, and then what, what did you do from there? You said you were teaching was, was well in New Mexico. Yeah. So I've, uh, made at least part of my living as a public speaker, inspirational speaker for over 20 years. I taught for a long time. Yeah. Um, I had one of the premier art galleries in New Mexico for a long time as well. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and it was always an interesting combination where design was a part of it because that's a big part of my background. My mother was a designer. And then I ended up doing very high end design all over the West for a long time, as well as owning the business. So I did a lot of different things and I, I really enjoyed doing all of them. I wrote as well, wrote for television, wrote books. Um, wow. But at some point I realized that I had become uh, a miserable workaholic and I had to change my life. And that was really where everything began to change. What, what brought you to that moment? 
where, well, where you had the real I mean, life fell apart more than once and i studiously put it back together again wow. and you know did everything you were supposed to do to put it back together again and i think it was during one of those times where i realized that i had done everything right i'd done all the things you were supposed to do to put your life back together again yeah. and i was miserable you know i was miserable and it wasn't because of anyone or anything in my life it was how how disconnected i was from my own heart wow and and you um you just decided to make a change well i think it was decided for me i oh. think it bludgeoned over the head with <laughs> you know just there was no way i could deny that and i just vowed to change my life yeah i vowed to change my life and it was very fortunate because that year was uh, 2011 and it would have been my dad's 100th birthday. And there were these celebrations all over the world called the Vincentennial, which was really fun. And so uh, I went out and instead of, you know, I'd written my dad's biography, but instead of talking about how he lived his, what he did with his life, the movies, this, that, I talked about how he lived his life. And that was really a game changer for me because in talking about how he lived his life, I kind of embodied it. I felt it. I, I stood in his shoes. And that's when I realized that joy was my biggest legacy. Joy and love were my biggest legacy from him, not being Vincent Price's daughter, which had always been a mixed bag. You know, no yeah. kid, all, no matter how much you love someone. And I love my dad. Yeah. You, you don't always want to be, I mean, you know, honestly, I'm, I'm closing in on 60 and it's still the first thing people say about me um, unless I'm in New Mexico. And then I'm my brother's sister because my brother's very well known in New Mexico. So I'm always somebody's relative. And, and there was a long time when I was younger that that bothered me. Now it doesn't at all because I realized that it's a, people are connected to these people in love yeah. and that's the connection that they're making. But uh, it took me a long time to recognize that his legacy to me was love. His legacy to me was joy. And then I knew that that was the way I was going to turn my life around. Um, and, you know, if it had been that easy, I wouldn't be here talking to you because it was not easy. It was challenging. Right. I, I have to say that that's beautiful the way you framed that. So, so, and I, I honestly, I, I have, um, I'm friends with Zig Ziglar's kids and, um, and I always, I, I was like, can I bring that up? You know, <laughs> cause I'm always like, I, I, I want, I, I can't imagine, I, I don't know what that's like. Right. And I don't think most people do. So I can't imagine where your, um, self identity could easily be lost and and turn into resentment even i never felt resentment it was more that um if i'd been able to understand fully i understood partially but if i'd been able to understand fully that the only legacy that matters is the legacy of love yeah. um, then it would have been much easier to just step into the things that felt like love and and express those things yeah. but we live in a world and i think this is why i studied celebrity that values prestige and power and privilege and all of those things. And it pedestalizes all of them. Yeah. And then we get very invested in having those or keeping those things. And the more we do that, the further away we get from love and love is, you know, the, the gas that runs our cars, but we don't know that we're too busy buying bigger cars <laughs> to remember <laughs> to come with gas. 
<laughs> right. So, so you, um, you, you say you turned your, your life around. Um, was it really going bad or you were just unhappy? Well, I, I think, you know, I had a lot of wake up calls. I lost things like big things over and over again, like millions of dollars over and over again. Yeah. And, um, and so I think that those should have been the wake up calls. You know, um, I had a dear friend once who um, struggled with addiction and this person had a, a number of accidents. Mm. And every time this person had those accidents, I kept thinking, this is the proverbial bottom that people talk yeah. about where you, you know, you can only go up. Right. And, you know, that would be the pot calling the kettle black. You know, I, I really needed to be hit over the head apparently more than once to recognize that doing everything right isn't living and doing everything at breakneck speed isn't living and trying desperately to prove your worth against some set of standards that have no yeah. bearing on reality isn't living. You know, it wasn't until I understood that what my dad gave me was unconditional love and that that is all that we're here to share. You know, and I saw somebody, two people just popped up, one person wishing me a happy birthday and another person thanking me for sharing my dad. You know, yeah. I, I love sharing my dad because I, I say this sometimes when I talk, I mean, you saw I had my dog on my lap. I love my dog, yeah. but nobody's asking me to go all over the world, talk about my dog. You know? <laughs> and, uh, although I do, you know, slap her up there on social media a lot because I love her so much, but awesome. she doesn't have a fan page with 245,000 people like my dad does, you yeah. know? And, and so how fortunate am I that I get to share a conversation about love where we don't have to get into explaining what this means. We're all on the same page. I, I, I told this story, we do this, uh, we started these virtual Vincent events. They're really, really fun. Uh, we did two Saturdays and then this Sunday, this will be our third and this one's a dinner. So we're all gonna eat dinner together and share recipes and stuff. That's awesome. And because uh, my dad wrote four cookbooks. And so Jeez. I said this in the last Zoom call. I said, you know, Peter, who's my co-host and, and, and my business partner in England, we do a lot of these Vincent events together. Um, we were in, I don't know where, Luxembourg. And uh, I, I was at a gig and we were trying to find some gas to fill up the car before we returned it at the airport. Yeah, We were just chit-chatting and he said, you know, when I was a kid, I uh, kept copy. Your dad had the most beautiful handwriting, and so I would copy his his autograph so that my auto my autograph would be like his. <laughs> I said to him, "Me too. I did the exact same thing." Oh wow! And all of a sudden, in that moment, I was like, "He wasn't somebody I'd met because he was a fan, and I was the daughter. Like we were different entities. Yeah, we were both two kids who loved this person." And loved him enough to try to imitate him. And that was this aha moment. I thought, oh, my God, we're all the same. We are all, you know, we are all people who love Vincent Price. And I get to, I get to share that with hundreds of thousands of people. How fortunate am I? And people remember right. love him. That's amazing. 
you're walking around with his genes. <laughs> no, I'm not. There's a guy named Brian Hewitt in England who literally is walking around with his GD. He, he bought a couple pairs of my dad's pants. And one day at some group event we were doing, he showed up with these pants. And my dad was six foot four. And these things, it was like, it was like jolly yeah. green giant. We were all looking like, oh my God, those are huge. But my dad and I did have the same length inseam, believe it or not. I'm I'm tall. I'm just like my dad. I'm a slumper. So um, wow. I almost could walk around in his jeans. <laughs> that is awesome. So, so, um, so you had this aha moment and listen, I can relate because I have, I, I'm very transparent about this. I have 17 and a half years of sobriety and, and recovery. And, and so I can relate to the whole man, life's got to change. Yeah. <laughs> like it's not cool the way I'm living and, yeah. and the love that I can so relate to that. Like I totally can relate to that. Well, you so, know, workaholism is the sanctioned addiction, right? Yeah. Right. Workaholism is allowed, and you know, and it, and it doesn't show. You know, your your theoretically, your your body chemistry theoretically doesn't get altered, or you don't gain two hundred pounds, or you don't have credit card debt. Yeah. Um, you know, but it's still an addiction. Sure, it is. And sure. I'm still a workaholic. You know, yeah. um, I just am not a miserable workaholic. <laughs> so every day is, uh, you know, every day is progress, not perfection. Every day is one step at a time. You know, just yeah. in the last couple of days, I realized I hadn't taken a day off other than travel days um, since early January. And I was like, I couldn't, I didn't even care what I was doing. I could hardly stare at the screen anymore. I was grateful for the work in my head, but the rest of me was like, oh, and so I had this whole plan to take all of yesterday off. Somebody noted it was my birthday yesterday. And then I realized like that was also like the binge purge mentality of workaholism. And I realized that I needed to learn how to actually not be a workaholic every day. So it was actually Sunday. I thought, oh, I'm going to take like three hours off on Sunday afternoon. And then yesterday I worked a little and took like six hours off. And today I've already taken, I walk every day, but you know, today I'm going to, in addition to my walking, I'm going to make sure that I, you know, lie on the sofa and read something for half an hour or just sit, uh, you know, where I am, there's rocking chairs and I can sit on the front porch and look at the birds. I, I know wow. that it's still a work in pro progress. Well, my wife just said it before I could. I didn't want to interrupt you. I had no idea it was your birthday. So happy belated birthday. <laughs> Thank, I don't celebrate my birthday. So the I have no idea how anyone even knows that it's my birthday. But what I decided this year, same thing. You know, I was always very resistant. You know, I don't celebrate my birthday. But then I realized that people saying happy birthday again, is an expression of love. And yeah. I was like, and it's so cute because a lot of people have written, I know you don't celebrate your birthday, but we just wanted to say happy birthday and we love you. And I could totally hear it. So, you know, I can, I think like, oh, that was better than before when I was like, I don't celebrate my birthday again. This, you know, I think workaholics were kind of um, <laughs> control freaks um, yeah. to put too fine a point on it. And um, so this birthday was so pleasurable. You know, I'm staying someplace where, and know no one, but now I know my next door neighbor and we were chit chatting. We've become friends, you know, six feet apart. <laughs> and um, she's just lovely. And I came out last night and my lawn was mowed. <laughs> she had mowed my lawn. Wow. So sweet. And I, and I was like, she said, I just felt like doing it. And I was hoping you were actually taking a day off. I mean, how sweet is that? That is so sweet. That's something my wife would do. She would really? mow your, 
Oh, absolutely. We lived in Vegas for 13 months on, on assignment. And, and, and this, the, <laughs> the people there, I, I'm not, I shouldn't say the people, all of our neighbors in this gated community were like, we didn't even like meet any of them. And we're <laughs> from the Midwest where right. you know, everybody's happy. And, and so my wife at Christmas literally baked a ton of cookies. And I'm like, what are you doing? I can't eat all those. And she's like, they're not for you. And I'm like, well, who are they for then? She's like the neighbors. And I go, who? She's <laughs> like, all of them. She took and made these little cute little things and went door to door to yeah. all of her neighbors. And they were angry at her for ringing the doorbell. <laughs> what do you want? She's like, I'm your next door neighbor. I'm just delivering some cookies to you. And anyway, so, but that, that's, you know, that's the way to live. Like, that's the way to live. Love thy yeah. neighbor, right? Yeah, exactly. Like, like, really, you know, so, so, so you've had this big shift. I know that you've got, you have some books. Um, let's talk about that. Okay. What's, what's, what's your most recent project? The most recent book just came out a couple weeks ago and it's called Living Love, 12 Heart-Centered Practices to Transform Your Life. And really it came out of that, you know, so after the Vincentennial ended and, uh, on I went being a workaholic and I kept knowing that joy was the conduit out of it. But yeah. I talked a lot about joy, but I didn't really get to joy. And then one day I heard this little voice in my head say, you need to create a daily practice of joy. And I was like, that's so right. That's exactly it. I do. I need to create a daily practice of joy. And I was like, how <laughs> look like. And so first thing I did was really look into what practice was. And it sort of came to me that it was four things. It, well, five. It's something you actually do instead of just talking about. Yep. And you do it every day. You yep. do it deliberately and you do it consciously. And uh, so daily, deliberately, consciously, and you commit to doing it every day. So that mm. was five things. So I was like, okay. So, um, so I basically thought, I'm going to practice joy daily, deliberately, consciously, committedly, fantastic. And then I was like, aren't you supposed to just feel joy? Like, what does that look like? And so I found this definition of joy that just meant so much to me. And it was joy is the pure and simple delight in being alive. And I thought that's how my dad felt. That's how I felt when I was with him. That's what I'm going to do. So to do that, I basically just committed myself to doing things that I loved doing as a kid, because that was when I felt the most joyful. So whether it was stopping and smelling the roses or looking at birds or playing with my dog or watching I Love Lucy episodes, it really didn't matter. That's what I did. So that was the plan. And what I noticed was that first it was 20 minutes a day and then it was so much fun. It, was, it became longer and longer during that period of time, instead of having this problem that I was trying to solve, I was the person, I was living as if I was the person I knew myself to be inside, that joy-filled person. Mm. And the more I practiced, 
the more I became that person. And I realized that I had spent my entire life seeing myself as having these series of problems that have to get fixed. So we got problem and then we got me trying to fix it. Right. And all that happened. And I was like, and then I'd pull back and I go, I got to fix this problem. I have no joy. I have no joy. Fix it. Right. Mm. And when I practiced joy, I was joy. It just was joy. And so I realized that we're all from the time we're really young, trained not to listen to our own hearts. We're trained to become problem solvers. Problem solvers means there's an issue, a problem, something we're afraid of, something that we're worried about, and we have to fix it. So we become head-based problem solvers, yeah. fear-based problem solvers. And this is what's enforced in school. And certainly as we get older, you know, I, I use this example all the time, but it, it's, you know, I can't think of anything better. In school, we're taught to learn all of these facts, most mm -hmm. of which we don't need. You know, it, it would be good enough in general to know and have it really brought home to us that the Civil War was a terrible, terrible, terrible event in our country, brother fighting against brother over, you know, an inhumane system of, of being. It was something that was a sort of before and after kind of event in, yeah. you know, in people's lives. Do we really need to know what the, you know, Battle of Appomattox was and when it happened? You know, yes, there were a bunch of important battles and a lot of people died and some were turning points. But unless you're going to be a military historian or a Civil War reenactor, you probably don't need to know that in your right. growing life. In that time that we've spent learning what the heck the Battle of Appomattox was, what if somebody spent a half an hour asking us how we felt in our own hearts? That never happens. So we grow up being these external problem solvers and we get more and more and more disconnected from our hearts. And so then you say to yourself, like I said to myself, oh, I wanna be somebody who feels more joy. I'm gonna approach that as a problem. Like, well, I memorized those civil war dates and then I got this job and I learned how to do this or do that or manage this software system or whatever, right? I see that. Yes, we need to learn how about our emotions in our life. It is so true. And and that is discouraged. So these practices came from became for me a way of reconnecting and yeah. really understanding that and knowing that in that time, at least that I was practicing joy, I wasn't a problem solving, disconnected worrier. And then more and more problems evolved. The book has 12 of them, and they're all really simple things. Some of them you have to go deep and you have to kind of push past your resistance. Yeah. We all have serious resistance to this because, you know, if I say to you, love with the capital L, with the big L, has the power to heal everything that's going on in the world right now. Everything. If we were a love-based society, people would be like, oh yeah, that sounds really nice. Okay, so what about this problem? What about this problem? What about this problem? It's almost impossible to convince someone that this way of life can shift and transform anything until you begin to practice it. And you realize that if you are practicing love and joy and gratitude and connection and surrender and centering and balance and all of these things, you don't have time for all that worrying and your life is actually manifesting and rolling out and affecting other people in the same way. Um, at least that's been how I've experienced it. And what seems to happen is when you're really hooked up into that, you connect with other people who are similar. Yeah.
Yeah. Here's Cindy saying the same, same thing. And, and I think that the, and I just found it now, where's the best place to pick up a copy of this book? And it's living love, right? Right. Living love, 12 heart center practices to transfer. You can find it anywhere, but I'm going to tell you, I'm a huge fan of a new organization in the last maybe six, eight months called bookshop.org. And I have a shop on there, which you can find, just look for me. And my book is on there and my dad's books are on there and my brother's books are on there. My niece-in-laws, we have a whole little shop on there. But here's the cool thing about Bookshop. Bookshop realized that Amazon was putting independent booksellers out of business and undercutting authors. So they created this thing called bookshop.org. They've raised over a million dollars for local independent bookstores. And it benefits authors as well. Um, just, you know, from my selling books, I get a little percentage as well, yeah. which is a whole different model. And I think one of the things I really hope we're going to come out of this time with is this idea that we need to create a new economy, a, an economy that recognizes that we live in a circle that is heart based. And so Bookshop, please check out Bookshop.org, not just for my book, for any books, because it's awesome. That's that's incredible. Um, I'm going to put that up. Actually, I have. Let me let me see. I just want to share the screen real fast and show everybody if you don't mind. Sure. I just pulled it up on another tab. So let's show everybody. There it is on Bookshop. Um, it looks like a wonderful book. Thank you. Well, you know, it was a real gift. I never feel like I'm writing the book. I feel like it's just I sit down and put my fingers on the keys. I write a blog every single morning. Wow. Same thing. It's sort of my spiritual practice. Like, well, okay, what's going to come through today? Yesterday, I thought, oh, I'll take the day off. And I was like, no, I'm interested to hear what's going to come up. Bookshop.org. Yep. I love that. So so what are, you, there's, it says 12 heart-centered practices to transform your life. What are some, what, start with a couple of them. Let's talk about a couple of the, the practices. Sure. Uh, one of the ones that I think would be really helpful to people right now, I call it um, invoking your I don't know. It's a kind of surrender. Mm. But uh, we're taught, same thing as, you know, learning when the Battle of Appomattox was. We are taught when we're young, we're encouraged not to know. How are we going to learn if we don't, you know, not know? We have right. to not know something to want to know it. But then you get to a certain age, let's say 15, 16, older. If you say, I don't know, people think you're stupid. People mm. think you're a slacker. If you say, I don't know to a boss, you might get fired. Right. But the fact of the matter is we don't know. That problem solving is a desire to know. And and we buy into systems that we hope are actually going to be the thing that, you know, solves everything or does everything or makes it all better. Let's take insurance, for example. I don't think anyone believes that insurance is a perfect system. Let's just be sort of holistic and large about it. I don't think anybody feels that insurance is a perfect system. But if you said, I don't really believe that insurance is a perfect system, I'm not going to do it. Everybody would say, are you? Are you nuts? It's insurance. You have to have insurance. You have to. And then if you said, well, you know, I, I, I've paid into insurance now for 30 years. And every time I go to the doctor, you know, this happens or that happens or this happens. Or every time, you know, I call and I 
you know, need my roof repaired, they say, well, that's a pre-existing or that can't happen or that's not covered because you weren't hit by a tornado. And then you think, so what exactly am I paying into that insurance for, right? right. We are paying into that insurance because we are told that it is the solution if something we don't know is going to happen. Right. But what that tells us is that what we don't know is something to be afraid of. And that the answer is to find an answer. And what I really have come to realize is that if we can embrace our I don't know, then actually what we don't know will always, it's about listening to your heart, will always give you the answer. So I learned that living on the road. I'm, I'm a nomad. I've lived on the road for four years now. Wow. And yeah. And I make myself take the back roads all the time and I make myself get lost and I make myself not know where I'm going to end up for the night and not know where the road is going to go. And I make myself sit in the discomfort that sometimes comes up. Like, shouldn't you be on the highway? Shouldn't you be up? I, there was this one time, it was an amazing, amazing trip. I was driving from Denver to Dallas and I took the back roads and the first part of it was just gorgeous, gorgeous, gorgeous. And then it was starting to get dark and it was spring and all of a sudden, this little thought popped into my head. It was like, did you check the weather? <laughs> and I was like, mm, no, I didn't. So I found some cell service and I looked and there were like big, big, not the green clouds, not even the yellow clouds. They were the red, big red and the warnings yeah. for things that, you know, like tornadoes and Flying cows. Yeah, not, not good stuff. Yeah. And so, and I had had this perfect day, perfect drive, perfect drive. And so my chest was like, <laughs> I'm like, you idiot, you should have taken the highway. And I was like, no, you had the perfect drive. It was just gorgeous. And, you know, so if that's what you were led to do, were you going to be led here so that you could be tossed up into the air in a tornado? So what are you supposed to learn from this? So I looked at, where the you know clouds were you can usually see a weather pattern where it's yeah. going and of course i had a couple different choices of road and i just got really quiet and i said well i don't know where this is going but where should i go and it was very clear take this road so i um so i took that road and then i could hear in my head like what if what if what if it's not that what if it's this it's like you don't know so let it go and listen to what you are being told, which is mm. take the road and just drive. So the most amazing thing happened. You know how we all joke about like, oh God, I wish there was just a burning bush to tell me I was on the right road because that's what was in my head, right? Am I on the right road? Am I on the right? Did I do the right thing? Should I have taken this? Should I have not taken this? <laughs> right. Literally, I swear to you, because it was, sunny over here and black i mean mm -hmm. not gray black over wow here. and and i'm like what's that and up ahead of me there was this and i was in the middle of nowhere there were no towns this huge red light just bursting up and i was like oh okay what's that and i kept driving closer and i was like it, did, it wasn't going away. It was just getting brighter. And it must have been some kind of prism, like a rainbow prism, except it was only the red and it was gigantic. And it was just literally like a sign pointing down on the road ahead of me. 
And I burst out laughing. I was like, well, I guess that qualifies as a burning bush. <laughs> yeah. And I drew, I just saw the pictures of it the other day, which made me think of it because I was looking for a picture of a rainbow and it popped up. And I drove literally right up it, right past it on that road, had a glorious drive. Oh my gosh. We could, I could have spent the entire time worried or I could have trusted that I didn't know and then listen for what I needed to know. And what I don't think we realize is that, you know, what we need to know is being broadcast 24 seven and we're just listening to some static all the time. There is like actually lovely music and there is information and there is non-fear-based information that is being broadcast. And we're just listening to like fear, 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 fear. And so that's what the practices taught me. So for this practice of, I don't know, it's first of all, I, I, there's one up on my um, Facebook page right now. I, I have all these scary pictures with, I don't know. And uh, you go through it and you write down your responses to that, those pictures of what they bring up of, I don't know, scary staircases or, you know, a bridge going into nowhere. And then you continue to write out what you don't know and sit with that for a while until it becomes less scary, until what you don't know becomes less scary. And then the second part of the practice is actually learning to trust uh, your I don't know, because here's what I think we also miss when we think everything has to be a problem that we solve. Yeah. The mystery with a capital M because we're so busy thinking that this is life that we don't even understand what's possible. I mean, I'm sitting here in Western North Carolina. I had a gig in New Orleans and my next place I had to be was Key West. I had about 15, 16 days in between. Yeah. So logic would have said, cause I had work to do to stop somewhere along the way. And yeah. I'm not a big Florida fan. So and particularly not during spring break time. So I was like, I don't really want to do that. So I was like, oh, I'll go over here. I'll go over here. And I booked a couple of things, hotels. Yeah. And this little thought came to me, mm, don't do that. Look more. So I ended up being led to this Airbnb listing. And when I saw it, literally my whole heart went like, boom. And I was so overjoyed with this the feel of it. Now I've stayed at a lot of Airbnbs and, you know, I thought, well, you know, I'll get there and it won't be quite what they said. And, you yeah. know, <laughs> I walked in the door and I was like, oh, I love this place. It's perfect. It's a little cottage. It has everything I need. It's so sweetly furnished. It's, um, it, it's certainly not the nicest places I've ever stayed, but it is, but it is the nicest place I've ever stayed you know in other words sometimes yeah. the nicest place in terms of what people think is fancy isn't necessarily what you think is right this is so me I have the perfect neighbor my landlord is the kindest guy so I was going to be here for 10 days and then everything got canceled like boom 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 I was like oh and where am I going to go because I have all these gigs and now I have no place to go and I thought what do I do? So I called him up and he said, well, I have somebody coming for two more days, but then it's open. Well, of course those people wanted to cancel because no, nobody was going anywhere. So they were right. really, long story short, I'm here where he would have been another Airbnb owner losing a ton of cash every day that we talk to each other. I, we have a little, some mice friends who are visiting. So we were chatting <laughs> what to do about the mice friends this morning. And I, 
I said, he said, I'm so grateful to you. And I said, I'm so grateful to you. And he and I were talking about the mice. He was saying, I really don't like to trap. I don't do killing. I hope that's okay with you. I'm like, I don't kill either. And he said, I don't even like to trap them because, you know, like they get so stressed out in there and then you take them someplace far away and they have to make new mice friends. This is my landlord who speaks my language. My next door neighbor came over and mowed my lawn yesterday. She's the nicest person in the world. Her son-in-law, as it all turns out, is a huge fan of my dad's. She's yeah. from Colorado. So we have the same mindset. And I am in the perfect place to be. How would I have known that? I mean, there's literally no way I could have known that. There are, you know, 50 states and the District of Columbia that I could have ended up in. 40 yeah. and probably wouldn't have gone to Hawaii. And, you know, I ended up in the perfect place. No way I could have known that. It was simply having practiced listening to something that makes no sense and literally having practice going, well, I don't know, but this is what I'm being told. You end up in the right place. And that's what I mean. It's, it, it's talking to us. And I don't mean it like the aliens. I mean, right. love is talking to our hearts. And we've forgotten how to listen because we're too busy trying to mem memorize when the heck the Battle of Appomattox was. My, my wife is, see, I'm not as spiritually gifted as you and your landlord and my wife are. <laughs> <laughs> a spider finds its way into my my space and <laughs> you're, you're like i'm gonna pray for you ken <laughs> so i uh, you know i did read on your website that you are an interfaith um minister which i think is absolutely amazing um and maybe i said that wrong i i believe that's what it says interfaith right? and spiritual yep Okay. So um, I, I pulled your website up to make sure I read that properly. So what, something along the way took you into that. What, what was that? What, what, what made you become an interfaith and an inner spiritual minister? I felt like no matter what tradition I studied and, and even what tradition I came from, there was this sense of dogma and ecclesiasticism, this idea that our way is the right way. And that was my mother. My mother, literally, her only her way was the right way, no matter what it was. And, um, and this from somebody who literally had no sense of direction. You could stay at a hotel for a week and she'd go out and turn the wrong way to the elevator every <laughs> single time she left the hotel room. But her way was the right way. Yeah. And so it really bothered me. I thought that's, that just isn't, doesn't feel true. And I thought, you know what I want to do? I want to learn about all the different traditions. I want mm. to study every single tradition and see, you know, cause there's got to just be these common threads. And that's why I started. Uh, and then the second year was all learning different rituals and traditions. And I was like, whatever, that's not really my thing, but I'll learn them. But really what happened during that two years was, it was actually three years, I found my heart tribe. And my heart tribe were two groups of people, horror fans and people who are, are open to learning about anything with an open heart and an open mind. And so, you know, and that's one of the things that I think is really interesting right now. My, uh, my blog this morning was about openness, being open. And I, 
I was struck by the fact that we're all using the word right now. Are we ready to reopen? Are we, is it time to open for business again? Yeah. yeah. We're having all these conversations about openness, but in a not very open way. We're all saying this way is the right way and that way is the right way. It's that same problem. We got a problem. We got to solve it as opposed yeah. to like, let's be real. There's no model for this. We right. don't know. Right. Love with the big L does. So if love guides the conversation, we're going to hear what we need to do. And there, there are people absolutely doing that. Restaurant owners who are saying, and, and certainly there are restaurant owners who want to get back to business, who want their employees to get back to business. But they're saying, we're not feeling like it, the time is right right now. And we're going to try to listen. That's what I respect. Not this sort of, it's now, it's not now, it's now. You're wrong for thinking it's now. And you're wrong for thinking it's not now. That's not the point. The point is none of us know. So let's figure out how to have new conversations about what we don't know. Right. I, I, I love that. I've said for, for many years, and, and I won't go into the whole story at all, but I had this huge spiritual epiphany. I, I've I've meditated every morning of my life for the last 16 and a half years. And, um, you know, I've said, there was this moment where I'm like, humans in their, in their finite capabilities have to put a face on something that they can't necessarily see. And, and hence the birth of so many religions across really? the globe. And, and I've said, God is just love. Like, that's it. There's no other definition. Right. Like, that's just, God is just love and not this. I don't see God as this, this hellfire and brims, you know, like you're not, I just don't see it that way. I see God as love and, and, and that's it. I, I don't know any other definition of it. So um, now this is a spider killer talking to. <laughs> hey, progress not perfection. I, I I try to rescue spiders too, but every so often it doesn't work. <laughs> yeah, I get it. So, wow. I, I just feel like, first off, I want to say a huge thank you for coming on my show. And you are you're amazing. You uh, right back at you. This is I, such a joyful conversation. And you know, that's the thing, like all your, everybody who's commented, that's what we're here to do. Have these kinds of conversations, right? Yeah. Yes. You can remain open or yes, being open or close-minded is a choice. And we forget that we yeah. forget that because we don't see ourselves as close-minded, you know, right. We don't. And that, you know, it, it's the, uh, it's why I don't engage. Somebody was posting on my Facebook thing and the, and I, I just, I don't engage. And, and this person posted a second link this morning trying to refute something. And I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to block you and move on with my life. I, 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 I bless and release you. <laughs> so right. I'm like, you know, dude, I'm not engaging in it. Like it's, it's just not my thing. So I, I gotta say that, um, you know, as I was researching you last night and I was 
it's funny your birthday did not pop up though. No, because I don't put it out there. That's why I have no idea how I guess Wikipedia or something, but it's very sweet that everybody has said happy birthday and yeah. it's such a loving thing. So thank you. I would like to, I have a show with, I, you, I, you, I guess you don't know who Glenn Morshower is. He's one of those names that everybody recognizes his face. Cause he's been in so many movies uh. and he played agent uh, Aaron Pierce on the TV show 24 for years with Kiefer Sutherland. And, um, but he, um, he is a dear friend of mine and him and I started a show with a guy named Scott McCain. We have on Sunday evenings and you are, gosh, you're just the perfect fit to have on as a guest. And I would love to have you come on that show. And I'll talk to I'll talk to Glenn about it. I'm sure he probably met your father at some point. To be, well, I would to love to. I would love to. That would be yeah. Thank you. Yeah. So I'll, I'll talk to him. But that that would be, you'd be phenomenal to have on because I love what you're saying. So many people right now. You know, the human mind is is a complicated piece of equipment, <laughs> right? And and so we're all trying to figure out, you know, and, and the my favorite quote, one of my favorite quotes is, a man convinced against his will is of the same opinion still, right? So everybody's trying to say, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong, look at my way because, and it's the, it's been that way since the beginning of time. And, and, you know, it's like, just how about everybody calm down? Like there's never been a time uh, ever in the history of mankind that is recorded that the entire planet went on lockdown. Right. Well, and, and here's the thing, you know, what this is allowing us to see is how the choices we make actually affect other people. And so yes. the thing is, you know, there's nobody at home who is looking at the fear of people who, you know, are worried they can't pay their bills or, you know, even, even looking at the, the sort of frustration of somebody who's simply at a state capital protesting because they want to go get their hair cut. You know, there's none of us who haven't thought, you know, I mean, my hair, I keep super short. I mean, this is as long as my hair has been, I can't stand it. Um, so, you know, I'm not looking at somebody going, you know, I, I couldn't understand that at all. I, I've lost, you know, all my speaking gigs for the next four or five months. So right. there's not one part of me that is judging the, the haircut motivation or yeah. the, you know, or the I want to get back to work motivation. So, you know, and I don't think the people who are out protesting are judging the people who are staying at home. Well, you're just scared you're going to get sick. I don't, I don't hear that. No. What I hear is a complete lack of awareness that, you know, every single thing we do, it's the butterfly effect, affects something else. And yeah. we don't want to think about that because we'd probably be paralyzed. It's the spider yeah. <laughs> issue, yeah. you know. Do I, do I flush the spider? Do I take it outside? What if it bites me on the way outside? Right. You know, and, and so we have to learn a whole different kind of conversation to have. And it's interesting. Yesterday I, I went out uh, for some, you know, a big long hike and, um, and most people were really doing social distancing, but there were some groups of people along the way who definitely weren't. 
And what was interesting was, you know, most of them were young. And I thought certain generations, certain young people, they're so active and caring about the environment and they're wondering why we don't you know and then but then i think they believe that this is an old person's disease you know so it doesn't matter if just young people get together and it it's all a metaphor it's a metaphor for the fact that literally everything we do affects you know that bottle that we bought because we didn't bring our stainless water bottle only nine percent of all plastics get recycled. That means literally there's 91% of all plastics out there. So where do they go? Into the ocean. So where do yeah. they end up? We eat a credit card worth of plastic every year. We ingest, each of us, a credit card's worth of plastic, right? <laughs> right. So, um, you know, I'm involved with this wonderful new group called Oceans Commit that is, um, that's about reducing single-use plastic through events that raise awareness. And I, one of the reasons that this group is so powerful is that instead of just talking about it, it's about walking and swimming in the ocean so that we can really experience, you know, not walking in the ocean, walking along the ocean and swimming in the ocean, really experience how it all connects and what we're looking at. Because if you see it, you can't unsee it. Right. And I think that's the thing. If people don't see it and we live in our little bubbles, we don't have to think about it. Right. Right. I, I think that, um, uh, you know, uh, I, I always look at what Mother Teresa said and, and, you know, when she was asked to go march in a protest against the war and she refused and um, she said, I will not march in a protest against war. Um, and then someone else asked her if she would march in a um in a thing for peace. And she said, yes, I will march in, in right. your, your event for peace, not against war. Exactly. So, right. That's exactly it. Right. Yeah. So it's like, you know, we should all be looking at ways to, to move to the positives of life and, and, and not the negatives and not try to prove all of our, our neighbors wrong. <laughs> well, I don't think we realize how many choices we make are fear-based choices. We don't see it. We're absolutely blind to it. And so that is why practicing love, heart, heart, heart-centered practice um, really shifts our perspective on everything. Yeah. Yes, it does. Well, I, um, I, I, after talking with you, I don't even recall that your father is Vincent Price. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I'm grateful for the connection because he was without him. A lot of things that I learned would have been words. He more than any other human being I've ever met embodied all the things that we want to feel that life is joy and love and connection and open mindedness and curiosity and adventure. And he embodied that. I thought all grownups were going to be like my dad. <laughs> I was sorely mistaken. And, you know, it's taken me a long time to even embody just a little of what he managed to do. Yeah. Well, um, from what I've seen, and obviously I've seen, I, I, I know who he is, right? So, um, and it seems like he was a wonderful man. I, in fact, I saw in part of the, um, the documentary tribute to his life, 
Um, a guy said when he was, you know, on, on doing a scene in a horror movie, he was like, it was very, very intense. And then as soon as the camera stopped rolling, he was a jokester and, yeah. and having fun. So, yeah. um, and that does remind me of my friend, Glenn Morshower a lot. He's, cool. he's like that. You'll love Glenn. As a matter of yeah. fact, I, I think he's watching. If you, if you're watching Glenn say hello. Um, but yeah, he's, he's a great guy. I think, um, I'm going to talk to him about getting you on our, our Sunday night show. <laughs> if you're open to that, I would love it. Awesome. Well, listen, I want to say thank you. I want everybody to go to, um, let me, I'm just going to it's bookshop.org. I'm going to put that up as a banner real fast. Um, I want everyone to, um, go to bookshop.org. Let me get this in here real quick before we before we go. I want everybody to go to bookshop.org and search for Victoria Price and pick up her new book. And it's called Living Love, 12 Heart-Centered Practices to Transform Your Life. I want everybody to go pick up a copy of that book right now. And um, I'm going to, because I I just feel it. I feel the energy coming off of you and off of that book. And so I'm going to, and then one day soon, I'm going to meet you in person and ask for your autograph on it. <laughs> I look forward to meeting you. It'll be wonderful. Yeah. So Victoria, if there's ever anything I can do to help you in any way, please don't hesitate to reach out. Um, and uh, thank you so Ken, much. Thank you. This has been a delightful way to spend an hour. Thank you so much. And thank you for everybody for all the great comments and the birthday wishes and everything. This has been a real joy. Yeah, you're amazing. So don't hang up on me. I am going to end the live stream. So thank you all so much for being on here. And I will see you guys later. Thank you, Victoria. Thank you, Ken.